Welcome to our continuing series on church culture. And today we're going to be talking about worship and prayer, something that is very dear to our hearts, a topic that you will probably hear us talk a lot about. Worship and prayer is a topic that Chris and I have very strong convictions on, and we believe the Lord has a lot to say about these things in regards to how His church operates and how His church prioritizes their time. Yeah, one of the resources that we mentioned in the curriculum is a book by John Dixon and Chuck Pierce called Worship As It Is in Heaven. And the reason this book is mentioned in the curriculum is because it opens up the very important topic of the Tabernacle of David. We don't have time to go into all those details right now. It's one of the reasons why it's a curriculum book. And yet we do want to talk about worship and prayer in light of the Tabernacle of David and how that impacts us today. What we're talking about is when James references a prophecy spoken by Amos, Amos chapter 9, verse 11. And in Acts chapter 15, James points to that prophecy and he says that this is now happening. And that prophecy basically says, in that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up its breaches and I will raise up its ruins and I will rebuild it as in the days of old. Now, James may not have fully understood what even he was saying in that moment as he was filled with the Holy Spirit to make this declaration. But he did know, I'm sure, that he wasn't talking about a building. At that point in time, the small New Testament church had no interest in a building. They weren't working on a building project and they had nothing in their sights with regard to having a church building having their own specific place to meet. This is not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that was happening during David's day that it ended. And we believe that what this is opening up is the fact that David had tapped into a kind of worship, a kind of intimacy with the Father that was unique to his day. It hadn't happened previous to that point in time. And it wasn't to happen again for a thousand years. In fact, when the time period of David's tabernacle came to a conclusion, it would be a thousand years before James would speak these words and say that this is now happening again. James is pointing to the new covenant reality of our worship with the Father, that we no longer have to depend on a mediator to go into the Holy of Holies, that we ourselves because of the blood of Jesus, have direct access to the Father. But there are also specifics that we know concerning David's tabernacle that speak to us today. Things like continual worship, the fact that it was happening 24-7 around the clock. Things like prophetic worship, intercessory worship, spontaneous worship, warring worship, dynamic worship. These are all aspects that were tied into the tabernacle of David that David himself introduced as a worshiper, but he also trained worshipers to follow suit. And so we're following suit today. And that's one of the reasons why ministering to Jesus wholeheartedly 
and giving him that lavish praise, that lavish worship is our number one agenda when we meet. We talked about this in the last episode. And the reason we're bringing it up again now is because this has to be the number one priority every time we meet along with prayer. And so we believe that worship and prayer come together just as in the Tabernacle of David and impact how we do church today, how we do meeting together corporately. Yeah, because of that, we aren't too concerned about whether or not someone walks into one of our microchurches and feels comfortable. In fact, if we take David as our example, we see this exuberant worshiper who actually made people feel uncomfortable because of his undignified, passionate expression of joy, thanksgiving, praise, and adoration to the Father. And so our desire is that every time we gather together, our expression of worship is absolutely unfiltered, so to speak. And that could cause someone who's new to come into our gathering and think, oh my goodness, I do not feel comfortable here. But our priority is not to make a newcomer feel comfortable. Our priority is to make Jesus feel comfortable. That when he walks into our midst, that the aroma of praise, that the sacrifice of thanksgiving is so thick in that room, wherever we're gathered, that he is loving the lavishness of our praise and our worship. Because of that, we are always going to be pushing our leaders, always going to be pushing those that are a part of this gathering to go past the point where they feel comfortable and be asking the Lord, Lord, is there any further sacrifice of praise that you want to ask me to give you that you're requiring of me that might bring me past the point of no return, so to speak, in my worship? And we're always going to be asking of you, where do you need to go next in worship? Where is that place that the Father is taking you to? Not for sensationalism, not for emotionalism, not for some kind of hype. That is the last thing on our minds. Our goal should always be, Lord, let our worship look like here on earth what it actually looks like in the throne room before heaven. Mm. May we actually model that and mirror what is happening in heaven. And I tell you what, we're still a long way from that. As, <laughs> as amazing as our worship right. might be when we gather, we have a long way to go. So we always want to be asking each other, challenging each other, pushing each other. Yes, within scriptural boundaries, we don't want to do anything that disagrees with scripture but always pushing ourselves to go further in worship, to give this expression that is pure, that is holy, and that is absolutely wholehearted to the King. Yeah, that's so good. I want to, to read a paragraph from John Dixon's book, Worship As It Is in Heaven. The objective of our worship is not to warm up the crowd or to make us feel better. It is to minister to God. Consider then the speaker who is used to waiting in the wings until worship is done, or the people who hang in the periphery of the sanctuary, in the doorways and halls, chatting and carrying on until the singing is over. Imagine their surprise when they reach heaven and attempt to prattle around until worship is over. Finally, one of them leans over to an angel and asks, How long do these worship services usually last? The angel says, I don't know. I've never seen one end. This one started before the foundations of the earth. The reason I read that is because I want to point out how David unlocked something 
that is actually heavenly when he unlocked this idea of perpetual worship, of 24-7 worship. That's happening in the heavenlies. And we know that worship is something that is not, for everyone, something that is immediately comfortable. There are some people who are immediately drawn to worship, even if it's the first time they've encountered it. There are other people where it's just not comfortable for them, and we understand that. But we're not going to apologize for it because it's not for that person. It's not for the person who loves it. It's for Jesus. And our focus needs to remain on ministering to Jesus. When we do that, he shows up. He makes it clear what's on his heart. When we do that, rhema words are unlocked. The prophetic is unlocked. And all these other aspects of our time together and our time outside of our house church All those things are unlocked, we believe, through wholehearted and abandoned worship and prayer. Let's take a brief look at each of the characteristics of the different types of worship and praise that we've outlined here in the vision statement so that we can give a greater understanding of what that might look like in the different house churches. Yeah, so when we talk about continual worship, that's actually one of the elements that we mentioned that has to be part of the worship experience. Now, what do we mean by continual worship? We may go an hour, but we certainly don't go 24 hours. So there's two parts to this. First of all, there's the practical corporate church side of this, and there are several movements that have been birthed in the last, I'd say, 30 years regarding this aspect of continual worship. You've got House of Prayer, you've got Burn 24-7, and other movements like this where the emphasis is in trying to call a city, call a region to maintaining a 24-7 worship experience happening from within that city as you get worship leaders together. We were part of something like this in Nashville where I would take a two-hour segment of a 24-hour segment that worship leaders would together be part of in order to have continual worship. That's a really beautiful thing. However, more important is the continual worship of our hearts in our spirits before the Lord, that this is not something that we turn on when we get together. And then we forget about worship the rest of the day and the rest of our week. Many times you can help yourself in this regard by having actually worship music on in the house. And we've never been in a better day than today as far as having so many options of fantastic worship music. But even if you don't have access to worship music, there should be continually this spring of worship coming up out of our hearts before the Lord just as there's continual communion in prayer before the Lord, constantly throughout our day, in work, in our families, in every aspect of our lives, continuing to commune with God in worship and in prayer. And then the next category would be intimacy. One of the things about intimate worship is that, generally speaking, it is a quiet place. It is a soft place. It's a place where our hearts have been tenderized by the Holy Spirit to enter into this deep communion with the Lord. And when we come into intimate worship, it's not a loud sound of exuberant praise. It's a still, quiet, oftentimes a soaking place before the Lord. 
Many times when we enter into that intimate place with Jesus in worship, it can be a moment where people will get on their faces, where they'll lay down and just begin to soak in the presence of the Father. A place where repentance begins to take place, a place where downloads of what the Father wants to say to each person's heart begins to be released. So intimacy and worship is a place that we want to go as often as possible because it's where we begin to really touch the heart of the Father in interaction, our heart to His and His heart to ours. Yeah, that's good, honey. This actually pulls right into the next type of worship, which is prophetic worship. You want to speak on that a little bit? Yeah, prophetic worship might seem like a strange phrase. How could we worship prophetically? But oftentimes, prophetic worship will be the overflow of us coming in praise, coming in thanksgiving, or entering into intimacy. So what prophetic worship looks like is it's an entering into the heart of of what the Holy Spirit is saying in the moment for his body as he takes us into a word about how he wants us to worship in that moment, as he takes us into a word about what he wants to accomplish among us as a body during that gathering. And so we will begin to shift our worship to respond to what the Lord is saying and then begin to have this expectation that he's going to accomplish something in our midst as a result of that shift in worship. Which is very similar in many ways to intercessory worship. However, in intercessory worship, it's what we're saying. So we'll be making declarations, for example, This happens many times in the Santa Barbara house where suddenly we'll begin to intercede for the nation, intercede for the state, intercede for the city through worship and actually making those declarations in intercessory prayer over our nation. Yeah, even as we're singing what we believe the Lord is asking us to sing over the nation, over the state, and combining that with this intercessory prayer. It's it's a powerful, powerful moment when the Lord takes us into that place. And then there's also spontaneous worship, which is another way of saying new song worship. And this is identified many times in scripture with the Lord specifically telling us to sing a new song to him. So this may be something that is new in terms of right in that moment. It could be new for that day. It could be a song that we're introducing for the whole body to sing that day that was learned over the past week or so. So new, even though it's a relative concept, has the same significance in that these are fresh words. These are rhema words for us to be singing as a congregation, many times unlearned, many times with no words being displayed, and we're just singing this out as the Holy Spirit leads. Yeah, spontaneous worship is actually my favorite type of worship because it captures what's on the Father's heart in the moment, and we begin to sing it back to Him. It's almost like He's giving us the words of the love song that He wants us to sing to His heart. And because of that, it's so powerful and beautiful. And then closely related to spontaneous worship is dynamic worship because the Holy Spirit is always moving and flowing in a direction and he does new things. 
And our worship should not be stagnant. It should not be stale. It should be moving in new directions. Also, dynamically, in terms of training for a worship leader, there should be sensitivity to that scaling up and then softening down as we listen to the Holy Spirit and yield in those moments of our intimacy in worship. And the last one is warring worship. And again, this is one of my favorites. Um, spontaneous and warring worship are probably my favorite forms of worshiping the Lord. And I know that most people are not familiar with the idea of warring worship. It is something that's not really practiced or talked about a lot in the church, but it is such a powerful form of worship. And Chris and I first experienced this in a very impactful way when we were in Costa Rica at a worship event one time. And during that event, we went for about 45 minutes where there were no words being sung, but the band was playing and the Holy Spirit was being released in such a powerful way that people were dancing and yelling and crying out and praying in the Spirit. And we were all worshiping singing to the Lord, but it was this sound of warfare that was being released. And I will never forget that moment. And so when we talk about warfare worship, we're talking about the fact that there are moments in time where the Holy Spirit leads us to take territory in the Spirit through our worship. And we see this scripturally when we talk about stories from the Old Testament. I think of one in first or second Kings where the army of Israel actually sent the worshipers out. I believe it was Jehoshaphat. He sent the worshipers out ahead of the army. And as they worshiped in front of the army, their enemies were actually defeated. And so worshipers were creating the way in warfare for the victory to be won. And there are times where the Holy Spirit will lead us corporately to do that. And this goes to something that we need to bring up, and that is our perspective on what worship looks like in one of our house churches as we meet as the New Song community of house churches, because we put a premium on worship, but not just any kind of worship. And so I want to open that up and talk about how our focus is going to be on adoration of the King of Kings. So praise, thanksgiving, worship, exalting the name of the King. There is an abundance of fantastic worship music available to us today with regards to topics like identity and, and what Jesus has done for me. In fact, how Jesus makes me feel and all of those beautiful things. And many of those songs are inspired and lovely and have a lot of value. And there's a lot of truth in those songs. However, our belief is that in order to change our focus and our paradigm as a church away from a me-centric style of church and to a kingdom-centric style of church, as we were talking about on the previous podcast, that requires us to shift our focus in worship as well. A focus in worship away from ourselves and toward Jesus and so as a house, when we go to lift up the King of Kings, it will be about his majesty, his splendor, that it'll be less of a narrative about this is how you make me feel and more of an exploration of the majesty of the father 
the beauty of Jesus, the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit, and exalting the virtues of our King, and exalting His name, bringing Him thanks, bringing Him praise. That's always going to be our focus in worship as a house. And I want to just give personal testimony to that. I have seen over and over again, innumerable times, how when a corporate body is gathered together in worship, and a song begins to be sung that specifically declares the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the incredible faithfulness of God, whatever character quality of God we might be lifting up at the moment. I have seen so many times a shift take place in the room, in the atmosphere, and it's a shift that brings the life and the power and the joy of the Holy Spirit. When we begin to sing how worthy God is or how great He is, all of a sudden heaviness begins to break off. All of a sudden self-focus begins to go. All of a sudden joy is released. And I've seen it so many times, I've noted it to think to myself, wow, that shift in the song actually brought a shift in the atmosphere of the room. And it wasn't the song per se, it was what we were declaring through the song in regards to who God is and lifting him up. Amen. So one of the things that we want to do, even in this podcast, is to begin to impart to you as leaders a freedom in worship that perhaps you haven't ever experienced or are wanting to experience more of. Because we firmly believe and are convicted in our hearts that the Lord always has more for us. In every area of our relationship with Him, He always has more. In intercession, in discipleship, in evangelism, you name it, He's always got more. And the same is true in worship. And so right now, we just want to impart to you a fresh freedom in worship, Mm. a new level of intimacy in worship, a breaking of bondage of how you've looked at worship through old lenses and a releasing of new truth in what worship actually should be before the King of Kings. And we also want to just impart to you an encouragement and exhortation to take this into a daily practice to begin to work this out, so to speak, for yourselves. And what we mean by that and releasing that to you is we want to encourage you to, on a daily basis in your time alone with the Lord, wherever that is, in your prayer closet, in your bedroom, wherever that may be, to begin to practice greater freedom in worship. Put on some worship music, get out your guitar, sit down at the piano, whatever it looks like for you, and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to take you into new places. Begin to dance before the Lord. Begin to be on your face before the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to break off restraint so that you can learn to be comfortable in worshiping the Lord in private this way and then carry that freedom and release that freedom corporately when we gather together. Yeah, so Father, in Jesus' name, we just pray for each listener that there would be a freedom in worship released over their lives now, that inhibitions will come off, that fears would come off, and that in Jesus' name, we would learn to walk in freedom as worshipers of the King. God, that we would lavish you every time we meet together 
and then in our hearts before you each day throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Lord God, fashion us into true worshipers. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless. Amen.